John 10.10. I know we're in Luke, but just to get our thinking right, a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. These are Jesus' words. He says, but I have come that you might have life and have it in all of its fullness. But a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, Jesus didn't comment further on who the thief is and what he's, you know, what he's stealing, what he's killing, what he's destroying. But I'm going I'm to offer a few words for us just to kind of keep in our minds as we read in Luke chapter 11. Um, the enemy of God is the thief. He's known by many different names. We're going to learn of one of them today. Uh, he's every, every God that is not the one true God is the enemy of God. It's not all these different things. It's just one. And his job, his duty, his, as he, his kingdom will be built, the enemy, by stealing our joy, killing all sense of hope, and destroying our faith. That is his goal. Whatever tactics he can institute, he will. He will masquerade, he will pretend, he will deceive, he will lie, he will do whatever it takes. His only goal is to take the people of God and turn them away from God and his promises and all that he wants for us from that abundance of life and steal our joy, kill our hope, and destroy our faith. And he will do it by promising happiness, promising without, that there will be painlessness, promising false promises that make us go after what he wants or what he says that we want, always being disappointed. A thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come, says Jesus, that you might have life and have it in all of his fullness. Luke chapter 11, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. And when the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed. But some said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Who's asked for a sign? Yeah, we don't like that. We have to, but we do, right? Because Jesus, I, I would think that a, that, a, that, a, that a man delivered from a mute spirit being able to speak for probably the first time in his life would be evidence enough. I would think that lepers having their fingers grow back and their nose restored would be enough. I think that a woman who, who'd been bleeding most of her life and then used up all her money and suddenly her bleeding stops, that, she, that that would be enough. I would think that, that feeding 5,000 people, 5, people with, a, with a kid's sack lunch would be enough. I would think, I would think that, that the dead man in Nain and Jesus saying, young man, I say to you, get up, and a dead guy is no longer dead. I would think that would be enough. But somehow, some reason we're always looking not always but many times we're looking for an excuse not to be faithful not to trust God and who he is we want something more we want a sign I asked for a sign August 5th 1981 didn't get it August 5th 1981 I was in Buena Vista Colorado uh, at Frontier Ranch which is a young life camp and the guy who was the speaker of the camp that week he proclaimed the gospel in a way I never heard it probably I don't know that I had ever heard it but he said, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to challenge you all to go outside, do something, find a spot that you're not distracted by other people. Pray, or 
be absolutely silent for 20 minutes. If you want to pray and ask Christ to come into your heart and forgive you of your sins, here's how to do it. But if you just want to count stars or pick your toenails, that's fine. Just don't disturb someone else. So 20 minutes, I can tell you right where I was. I've been back there several times. I nice little time of prayer each time I'm there. But I ask God, if you're real, give me a sign. Nothing. So I gave my life to him anyway. When I got back in and when I showed back up at the cabin for what we call cabin time in Young Life, um, just about everybody in my, in my cabin had had a sign. Shooting star this, shooting star that. I'm thinking Young Life hire staff to sit up by what they call Eagle Crest or Eagle ne Eagle's Nest and shoot off Roman candles so there's a shooting. I don't know. Um, but some of these people are asking for more than the miraculous things that Jesus is already doing. And others are accusing him of obeying a false God instead of following the one true God in Jesus. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it like I think he spoke it. He's not pleased. And he calls them out and he turns it on them. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub? Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do you and, or do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judge. Now, theologians argue here whether people, religious people of that time that weren't followers yet of Jesus, if they had the power to drive out demons, some say that there were, there were different rituals that people went through. Others say that it never happened. Either way, Jesus saying to them, okay, if your people are doing it and I'm doing it, if you're saying that I'm driving out by Beelzebub, then so are you. And if it's not happening in them and he's doing it, it's, it's, it's a really hard case to make that by demons you drive out demons. He goes on. At that time, Jesus, oh, well, hold on. <laughs> this doesn't go with it. At that time, Jesus was full of joy. Wait, that's the wrong, that's the wrong passage. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom are your followers drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. There's only one other reference to the finger of God in all of scripture. And it's from Exodus chapter 8, verse 19. When, when, when God tells Moses and Aaron to put your staff in the ground, he's in front of Pharaoh, and it was a Staff goes in the ground, the dust flies up. All dust in all of Egypt becomes gnats. Gnats. I don't know, I, I'm from South Central Georgia originally, and below the gnat line, that's just above Macon where you don't get that many gnats. And I tell you what, you, you can't, if they're bad, you can't get them out of your eyes. You, you breathe them into your nostrils. If you, if you leave your window cracked to let the heat come out in Georgia, they will cover every window black with the, their joyous selves. Gnats are disgusting. If you think of them, you think of them like no seams. I get it. But if you've never seen a swarm, imagine every speck of dust on a, in a particular country becoming these nasty little insidious bugs. That is what God had happen to the Egyptians when he's trying to get the Egyptians, these sorcery and, and pagan God-worshipping people to let his people go so that he can turn them into the people he wants them to be. And the sorcerers, Pharaoh calls out the sorcerers and said, get rid of these gnats. 
Everything they tried, nothing would work. And they said, it is by the finger of God that these things happen. It's the only time in all of scripture that the finger of God has been used, except for right here. So when Jesus says, but if I drive them up by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come, not in all its fullness, but has come to you. He's claiming to be God. So if you're a religious leader at the time and you don't like the guy, he just blasphemed. You have every right in the world right then to try him and kill him. But he's poking at him and he's pushing at him and he doesn't end there. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his spoils. He who is not with me is against me. Very declarative, no ifs, ands, or buts, no gray here. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Now, we can look at that whole strongman thing two different ways. It can be Satan, has, he's a strong man, right? And he's, he's guarding Beelzebub, he's guarding his house, and Jesus comes and he's stronger, and so he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna take him to town. He's going to send him back to hell right where he belongs. Or it could be the, I get a lot of grief for that move right there, by the way, from the staff when I go, or in this. And this, get them all out. Or Jesus saying to the religious rulers, you think you own this. You think you got this. And you're accusing me, the God of the universe, of following the devil. It's all going to come crashing down. Which one is he saying? Yes, both. He's speaking to the enemy and about the enemy, and he's speaking to them, and that they've become the enemy. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Now, I'm going to ask you to pause for a second and ask yourself the question. If I'm not with him, I'm against him. Are you with him? I don't mean here. I mean here, and I mean here. Are you with him? Because he's not playing around. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. And then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than at first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Now, I just got to say, that's a weird statement. Moms in the room, have you ever been at a concert or something? Blessed is the woman who gave birth to you and nursed you. It's kind of strange. Apparently, that was a blessing. And Jesus doesn't even entertain it. And he says, blessed or fortunate, lucky, it goes well for those who hear the word of God and obey it. Now, right after this, and I'm not going to go through it, but people who are asking for a sign, Jesus says to them, you're only going to get one sign, and it's the sign of Jonah. If you remember the book of Jonah, what it says, God called Jonah and said, I want you to go to Nineveh, God's enemy, 
the people of God's enemies, someone that Jonah, a group of people that Jonah hated, and he said no, and he ran away to Tarshish, and God wouldn't let him go, swallowed him up, regurgitated him on the shores of Nineveh, and just as he thought, he went around proclaiming the mercy and the graciousness of God, and they repented, and God didn't destroy Nineveh, and Jonah's sitting on the side of the beach, and this thing grows up, and then it withers, and he goes, I knew you were going to be compassionate and merciful. Why would you be mad at God for doing what God does? Because sometimes we don't want God to do what God does. Sometimes we want God to do what we want him to do. And we, we, we counterfeit the graciousness and the love and the hope that comes in Christ. If we go back to this little section about uh, an evil spirit leaves and, and, he, and he goes off and he finds more spirits and moves back in. I'm mean, just going to talk to you for a minute about what that is. Now, yes, could it be possession? Yeah, and I, we'll, do, we'll talk about those kind of things another time. Possession and oppression. It's literal. They're real. I've seen them. I've seen eye color changes. I've smelled things that weren't there. I've heard voices change. I've seen strength beyond measure. But most of us here aren't possessed or oppressed, but we are influenced. And he says that if one leaves and you clean it up inside, he comes back because he can't find rest. He's gonna, he wants to take up shop again and you end up worse than you were. <laughs> Any life reformation, just like Tim was praying, without the Holy Spirit of God, fully from the top, bottom of your feet to the top of your head, every molecule of your soul has to be infused with the Spirit of God. Because it's, if, if, if you have, let's say you have an addiction, or let's say you have an anger problem, or let's say you have, um, you, you, you cheat on your taxes, or you, or you don't fully fund a pension plan that, you're, that, that your employees think you do, whatever it might be, there's some little thing, if you're always in this kind of a relationship with your spouse, and, or you, you, you've got things that you look at online that you kind of hide, and you don't want anyone to know, so that you get to that point where every, every time someone goes, hey, we need to talk, you're like, oh my gosh, is that going to be it? Am I going to be found out? Whatever that thing is, your hidden thing. And you decide, man, I'm miserable like this, so I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stop it. And I'm going to work hard and I'm going to talk to some people. And I'm going to try to have them ask me hard questions. All good stuff. But if you reform your life without the Holy Spirit, if you don't fill that void that that thing is now gone, if, you don't, if the Holy Spirit doesn't just absolutely overflow in you, then you're more vulnerable than you were before. Think about it. When you have this thing that you, that, that you want to get rid of and you try to clean up, haven't you done that before and before? And before, and before, and don't you get sooner or later, you just kind of lose your hope and you're like, man, I'm not going to ever change. This is just how I am. That's what he's talking about. Because we try to do it of our own volition, of our own will. We try to think that we're in control. And if we're in control, we're actually bending our will to a counterfeit God. When Jesus is talking about Beelzebub, now those of you watching online, that's a weird word, Beelzebub. You only hear about it in horror movies. Let me just tell you where it comes from. And then expand a little bit about what more, more of what Jesus is saying here. There's two words in Hebrew, Baal, you would know as Baal, B-A apostrophe A-L, Baal, and Zivav. And they got Greekified and turned into Beelzebub, Baal, Zivav. Baal, not like Adonai in, that we call God Lord, but Baal means Lord, lesser Lord, but a Lord. Zivav means flies. Lord of the flies. Anyone read that book when they were growing up? Huh? 
If you don't know the story, I'm not going to give it to you all, but it's basically this idea of these kids, these children get stuck on an island and, and there's no adult supervision, there's no moral compass, there's nothing. So they become the worst that humanity can become. Why? Because they are bowing their will to Beelzebub, to the Lord of the flies. Why do we choose that name for the enemy of God himself? Well, think about it. Do you love flies? You ever have flies laying on your egg salad at, in, the, in the middle of June? And you go, oh, well. Or you ever see one and you do that little thing that guys like to do? And, Phoom, got him. No. Why? Why? Okay. But why? They're disgusting. They land on fecal matter. They're maggots. They're, they're larvae. Before They only live on dying and decaying, rotting flesh. It's everything that has to do with disgusting or decaying. So when we bend our will to anything other than God, we're bending our will to the one who wants decay and destruction and defecation. How do I know this? Because the scriptures are full of God's people turning away from their people and thingify them. Now, I think it's outrage. I think that's what we, that's what we, we want to be offended. I don't know. But I can tell you that just as nations, when they turn away, they're all, the enemy of God does not care what you want as long as you don't want what God wants. And so he will become whatever God you create. It might be selfishness. It might be greed. It might be anger or outrage. It might be collecting offenses. It might be, uh, uh, satisfaction of your fleshly desires. It doesn't matter how insidious or how close it might be to God. There's a movement right now in the United States, Christian witchcraft? That is perverted. God wants to give us everything he has. And we are more often than not willing to replace him with the Lord of the Flies. Not literally inviting Satan. He, he doesn't need to possess me if I turn toward him. I know what my bail is. I don't know what yours is, but mine, I collect betrayals. From the time my dad left to every other, I can, I, 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 I can list every one of them. I'm not gonna, because if I'm keeping score of how God has allowed me to be hurt, then I'm not living the way God has called me to live. But there's a temptation so, so tempting. I can taste it. When someone decides to sin against me, I want to put a blockade around my heart and my soul so that I'm never harmed again. And I've been deeply hurt in my lifetime. But if I live the way Baal wants me to live, the way I want me to live, then I am returning evil with evil then I'm not turning the other cheek. I'm not considering others more important than I am, but I'm, I do nothing out of selfish ambition. That's self-defense, right? Or vain conceit, but in humility, I'm supposed to consider others better than me. I should look not only to my own interests, but also to the interests of others. The Lord's Prayer in, in Luke says, Forgive me my sins as I have forgiven those who sin against me. But they hurt me, Lord. 
He's not kidding around. That the Pharisees could be so hard of heart that they say Jesus is of the devil. Look at that and I go, oh my God, I can't believe them. And then I read, if you're not with me, you're against me. What's your bail? What's your molech? At some time in our lives, every one of us has a replacement God. We might not call it a God, but anything that is against what Christ would have for us is against Christ. And if I'm doing things against what Christ has for me, I'm not with him. And I'm actually bending my knee, my will, my heart to the very person, the very being, the very entity that wants to steal my joy, kill any sense of hope, and destroy my faith. And he tells me that if I do it, I'll be better. Lord of dung flies or Lord of lords. False promises that lead to destruction. I've come that you might have life and have it in all of its fullness. You'll feel religious and self-justified. You'll pick up your cross and follow me. Defend yourself because no one else will. Don't you have anything to say for yourself, Jesus? You are a follower of Christ if you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And when everything turns against you, everything goes wrong for you, you decide, I'm going to be full of faith and hope and love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control, especially when it looks like you shouldn't. You stand with him and by obeying what he says. And there is no faith involved if it's easy. He's not kidding, and I'm not kidding. He's not kidding. So what's your replacement, God? I know what mine is. It's really self-protection. If I try to protect me, then I don't trust that God wants what's best for me. I don't know who your replacement God is, what form it takes, but I promise you one thing, whether it be something you can touch or something you feel, whether it be something with a God name or if it's just something like mammon, money, it's all the same God. It's the enemy who tempted Adam and Eve. It's the enemy who, who, who required child sacrifice and prostitution at his temples, Baal. It's Molech, 
It's the one who masquerades as an angel of light. It's uh, the lion that prowls around looking for something to devour. It's the thief, thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's Beelzebub. It's all the same. Anything that is your turn away God is your enemy who's God's enemy. And if he can make you worthless in the kingdom, that's all he needs to do. Don't let him do it. Please, God, don't let him do it. Cry out to the Lord of Lords. Ask him to fill you from the bottom of your feet to the top of your head with his Holy Spirit. And then as things get cleaned up, ask him to fill those voids. Because if you don't, you may be worse off than you started, according to Jesus himself. Let's pray. Lord, I want to forgive those who sinned against me, but I don't want to. I want to be faithful when it's hard, but I don't want to. I want to seek first righteousness, but I want to be lifted up at the same time. Lord, I am a man in the making, and I pray that you Show me more and more where I need to die to myself to take up my cross. You promise that there will be pain and trouble, but you promise not to leave me. Your enemy promises there will be no pain, but then brings on the pain. Lord, give us all the courage, the wisdom, and the clarity of sight to see what you want us to see, hear what you want us to hear, and become who you want us to become. We pray these things in Jesus' name, through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us for the glory of God our most loving Father. Amen. I'm going to let the message stand on its own. I encourage you to go back and read all of Luke 11, Luke 12, even into Luke 13. You'll see that Jesus is calling some things out, not only to them, but probably to us as well. So ask God to give you eyes to see and ears to hear what he wants you to see and hear. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. That's a look on his face. God is and will continue to smile on you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.